genre. It's Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. Today, we begin our mini-series on the Pirates of the Caribbean film franchise, with the first film adapted from the Disneyland slow-moving boat ride, 2003's Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. And we have a guest. Joining us to talk about Skeleton Pirates, Moonlit Curses, and the Pirates Code is podcaster and theme park aficionado, Kyle Crane. Avast there, mateys. Thank you for having me on the show today. Welcome, Kyle. Absolutely. Uh, happy to have both of you on here. Yeah, of course, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is our first and probably last uh, theme park <laughs> franchise. Legitimate franchise? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I don't think there's another one. I think it's this is it. Eight or one, you know? That's how <laughs> <Yeah>. it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, Kyle and Scott, of course, co-hosts uh, two-thirds of Dueling Genres Theme Park Podcast, Theme Park This. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, have you guys ever done like a pirate-centric episode? Ooh, no. I don't think no. we have. I think on our first episode ever, probably the most we've gotten into Pirates of the Caribbean is, is Scott said that that was his favorite ride in all of the parks. Right, Scott? Or I guess. Yeah. Favorite, yeah, I, yeah. It was. It, yeah, I think it was my favorite ride. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's still true. It's the unskippable ride for me and every time yeah. I go to Disneyland. Totally. Any, any trip I, is, I, is incomplete if you don't do it with Pirates at least once, I feel. Yes. I think on your show you've talked about how everyone that goes to that goes to Disneyland either has Haunted Mansion or Pirates as their favorite ride. And mm-hmm. you kind of like mm-hmm. divide Well, people. and it's it's even more than that because I think that the people who prefer uh the Haunted Mansion tend to be East Coast people at Disney World where the Haunted Mansion is superior and the Pirates ride is like 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 half it's like a it's like half of what it is at Disneyland. Yeah. Um and so people are like, why would anyone prefer pirates over Haunted Mansion? Haunted <laughs> Mansion is obviously superior. And then you come to Disneyland and it's flipped. The Pirates ride is like incredible. And the Haunted Mansion has like the history because it's like the first one that they built, but mm-hmm. it is not as good as the one at Disney World. Um definitely not. So Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's fair, but I also think yeah. it's it's People do love both, but yeah, there is that one favoritism yeah. of like, what am I going to go to first, you know, uh, and for me as an East Coaster, it's Haunted Mansion, but that doesn't mean I don't absolutely love Pirates of the Caribbean either. So yeah, it's not an either or, it's just mm. about favorites, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so torn. I've only been to Disneyland once in my life as of recording, and mm. um, I rode both Pirates and Haunted Mansion, and like, they both really activate something in me Mm -hmm. like my nostalgia youth like because i was a spooky kid and as we'll Mm -hmm. talk a lot about 
in this episode. I was a adventure pirate sword kid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pirates has that drop and that's not so chill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for l- listeners, you don't know this, but Nick has a problem with rides. He's got, he's got any I'm kind s- of thrill. He's like, ah, uh, uh, it's a little too thrilling. <laughs> yeah, it's a little too much for okay. for an action and swords kid. Uh, he doesn't yeah. really like thrills. Well, so I much. I have to like I'm like a dog with water. You know, I have uh-huh. to like by the end of any theme park trip, I do kind of like my adventure gene kicks in. Mm. Uh huh. You know, like when a kid, you didn't want to jump high or you didn't want to go down the hill, but then you wanted to over and over again. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 It's the it's the ramp up to the first time, and then after that, you're like, well, okay, I, I burst the seal, so I'm good yeah. for the rest of the day. Yeah, and generally, pirates is probably extent. the first thrill that you experience on any trip to to a Magic Kingdom or you know Disneyland, the uh, Magic Kingdom. So it's I will say, yeah, that's a little bit jarring of a way to start everything. So it's best to hit it back up yeah. on the way out of the park too, just to make sure one more time. Uh, you know? <laughs> that's really true because I think that oh yeah yeah that Pirates of the Caribbean is the first ride I ever rode. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, remember, because we took a picture of me outside of it, because I was like, oh, it's my first Disneyland ride. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, and, that's good. But you're right, Kyle. By the time I, you know, we we, we made our way through and I was on uh, Hyperspace Mountain, mm. I was like in and having a good time. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, Hyperspace Mountain. Yeah. <laughs> but in any event, but you know, it's a it's a Disneyland is a good place to start this conversation because yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean was uh one of the most beloved, you know, crossover successes in the park's history. You know, mm-hmm. is that fair to say yeah. to both of you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I would say so. And it's back when they used to do like original IP for their rides. Um and it Hyperspace was... Mountain, you know, that's kind of <laughs> Yeah, <easy. laughs> so Pirates uh, Pirates of the Caribbean built in like 60, 66 or 67, Kyle? Oh, God, you're going to ask me that. Um, I, I feel 66. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's 66. I think it was three years later that Haunted Mansion opens in 69. Um, but, uh, yeah, and it was a huge, huge hit uh, to the point where when they were building Disney World in the 70s, uh, their thought process was, well, we're not going to build pirates because the reason that we put pirates of the caribbean at disneyland is because the caribbean is on the opposite side of the country mm-hmm. so what we'll do in in disney world is build like a cowboy centric um mm-hmm. uh like like a pirates of the caribbean but for cowboys yeah and that's what we're going to do over here because that's the west so that's the opposite coast so like Let's put the thing that you're less familiar with on the individual coast. And there was like an uproar and everyone's like, how dare you not put pirates in Disney World? And they're like, OK, but it's not <laughs> going to be as good because we can't really go underground. And, you know, it's 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 just not going to be as good. But, yeah, OK, sure. We'll do pirates again. And so they did. And then they never built that cowboy ride. Thank God. Um, because it would uh, not have uh, <laughs> not have stuck around for a while, but yeah, it was really their first like franchise ride. I mean, of course, they put like you know a a, a small world and a haunted mansion and everything were planned for the East Coast Park as well. But yeah, this was the first one where like they were like, if it's not a Disney park, unless it's got a Pirates of the Caribbean in it, and it's that stands right. true to this day. And you can watch videos of like the Shanghai Park has this gigantic, insane Pirates of the Caribbean ride on it, and everywhere around the world they go, yeah. people just love this franchise and follows them everywhere. Yeah. And in general, I think Pirates of the Caribbean, it it is like arguably the first immersive ride ever made. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, it's it's the first one that like once you go down that first drop, it you know, it is you are in the world of pirates and there's that great transition period spot where like the skeleton pirate turns into a regular pirate and then you like go out into this battle zone, you know, mm -hmm. and it's it's uh it's fully immersive and and you know for 1966 67 like that was i mean no one had ever seen anything like that before yeah um the technology didn't exist and so it was basically like magic i think for most people and uh and that that's really really impressive i think and so it is interesting that you know of i guess they they, they started to get the idea of turning a theme park ride into a movie uh and they tried a few times i think this same year that this movie came out haunted mansion came out mm -hmm. um the eddie murphy haunted mansion uh not as good as this uh shocker <laughs> um, but 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 yeah i don't think anyone knew i think this movie is kind of a miracle in adaptation because it is it is not the story of the ride. What it reminds me of while I was watching it this time, it was like I kept seeing like little there's like the movie's loaded with Easter eggs and references to the ride mm -hmm. and scenes from the ride. Um, but it's done in a way that never feels shoehorned. It's just like, oh, this would be a good spot to have this part for the ride um, or or maybe we can turn this part of the ride into a set piece and do that here. Um, and so it's all just built very naturally, but the story of the movie has really nothing to do with the ride. There's no curse. It's not a horror ride, you know, but they turned it into a horror, uh, a horror action adventure film. And I think that was one of the most brilliant things that they did in adapting this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, but before I get into the, the cinematic history of Pirates of the Caribbean, mm -hmm. uh, I would love to get both of your personal histories with like you know this kind of seminal film franchise kyle do you remember the first time you saw curse of the black pearl oh absolutely yeah i saw it in the theater i remember i went with my friend uh tana and my brother jamie and uh we saw it on like an afternoon actually of everything and um when i you know uh when word first came out that disney was adapting some of their rides into movies of course my mind went to haunted mansion well that's going to be the one they can't miss with who's in it eddie murphy well, i don't know about this and then i remember hearing johnny depp was going to be in this i'm like well i don't even know more about that this just sounds like it's going to be terrible this is going to this is going to be a failure from the beginning the first time i saw a trailer for this on ain't it cool news uh, I was like, wait a minute. Uh, did they actually nail this? Did they get this right? <laughs> and uh, it, it turns out they did uh, in, in box office returns that were just insane. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I remember walking out of the theater and being like, well, hot damn, that was like everything that I want in like a summer film. You know, it was like a fun time. Uh, I felt that, uh, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into the filmmaking aspect of everything. Like this movie is... Um, just kind of like almost a, a starter course. If you want to watch a film, if you're going to want, to, if you want to be a screenwriter, it's so obvious what's going on in the construction of the story and the characters and everything. This is almost one that you could sit down in a screenwriting class and be like, okay, let's talk about what the characters want and how they get that. And that's you know kind of a follow through. And um, I remember you know being in kind of that phase where I wanted to do that for a living uh, for for a while. I was like following that, and as the movie went, I'm like, man, this is like just a really well constructed, fun action adventure movie, and. Uh, I was blown away to find, find out later that some people didn't share my same feelings on it because I came out of the movie kind of like on cloud nine. Just like this was such a great, fun adventure. I can't wait to watch this again. Absolutely. I had this thought watching it, like especially in act one of this movie, every line of dialogue is doing 
like three different things. Mm -hmm. It really is like a clinic on how to write a studio picture. Mm -hmm. Like a like this is not an original film, right? I mean, it, it practically is, but but it's not. This is a this is a movie that the studio was like, we want this movie, and <laughs> you figure out how to write it. And yeah. it's it's you know, and that rarely works out right you know that that and and for some reason man just all the stars aligned on this yeah no you're right scott it really feels miraculous in the same way that something like men in black felt miraculous Mm -hmm. two words that i want uh listeners to keep in mind as we go through as we chart a course through the pirates franchise uh, are enthusiasm and intent Mm -hmm. throughout the pirates franchise imagine two waxing and waning scales of enthusiasm and intent in which in which the filmmakers had both excitement and inspiration for what they were making and also a clear vision of what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think with this first movie, both scales are at optimum uh, balance with one perfectly balanced, like a Will Turner sword. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. um, for me, I just remember... You know, the summer of 2003, which is a big summer for me, I had just graduated high school um, and, you know, it was like my first like summer of freedom, you know, where I'm just like, I am, I am out of high school. I'm technically an adult. You know, I can do whatever I want. Um, I'm going to go see so many movies because, you know, at the end of the day, I was still a dork. (laughs) Um, But, but, you know, go rolling into that summer. I was like, well, this is the summer of the Matrix. You know, we're just coming off of our our Matrix miniseries, and I'm sure we talked about this with Reloaded, but, like, this was the summer of The Matrix Reloaded, and Mm -hmm. that was what was on the forefront of everyone's mind. Like, that's the movie this summer. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the one. No one one is going to beat that movie. And then everyone saw Reloaded and was like, that was not what I was expecting. And for a lot of people, they were like, that was dog shit. Um Uh, what are we this this summer's going to suck now and then out of nowhere pirates of the caribbean opens and everyone's like boom that's the movie of the summer mm-hmm. and it was just like the most i i i did not expect anything i was dragged to pirates of the caribbean by a big group of friends everyone was like we're going to go see pirates of the caribbean i think again on like a saturday afternoon like Kyle um and it just I was like, wow, this was so much better than I expected it to be. And, like, the crowd was really into it. And it was just, like, it was the movie that, like, lasted all summer is what I remember. Is It just, like, it opened and it just, like, did not go away and just nothing could touch it all summer. Yeah, I, you know, all, all of that felt feels really true to me as well. I, I remember, um, I think I've even told the story on the podcast, but, like, my brother one time offered me like, Hey, let's go to the movies. You can either see pirates of the Caribbean or Terminator three. Like <laughs> I can get you in. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go with pirates of the Caribbean because I was still coming out of being a Disney kid of the nineties. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. was a Disney movie, but it also felt cool in the same way that what was coming out in theaters in 03 felt cool to me. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about actually, you know, that was very much intentional on Disney mm-hmm. and Jerry Brockheimer's part. But yeah, this was like a really seminal movie for 12 year old me. This mm-hmm. really swept me up. And like Scott said, I remember the theater really reacting to it and feeling like this is like what the movies are for, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. To get swept up in this adventure. And it's so, it was, even as a little kid, it was so smart and like clever 
And I always remember watching the audience connect to the twists and stuff and really like, oh, they're really paying it. We're really paying attention to the story right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As as a and I'm sure you're going to get into this in just a second, but like as someone who is very much into the story of the theme parks and how those were built and, and the business side of all of that. Right. Michael Eisner is a character who <laughs> looms large over over theme park history mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and I know that this was one of the last things that he greenlit before he was replaced by Bob Iger. Um, so he really greenlit this movie like on the way out the door. And I would argue that Pirates of the Caribbean being the hit that it was, it was the last good thing that Michael Eisner did as CEO of Disney was greenlighting this movie. And then I think Iger saw the success of Pirates of the Caribbean and was like, oh, we need more of this. We don't, we've never had this before. We need more of this. And I think that built, that created his entire film studio oeuvre was chasing Pirates of the Caribbean and largely succeeding. But I think without the success of Pirates of the Caribbean, he doesn't chase down Star Wars. He doesn't chase down Marvel. Those things come to Disney because he saw the the success of this film and this vibe and was like, not only can that vibe now be associated with Disney, but we've got boys in theaters. We're making money off of boys, which we haven't done before. And I think that all of that sort of like laser focused what Iger wanted to do as CEO of the Disney Corporation. Yeah, and it's also coming in on the tail end of the Lord of the Rings. And at the time, everybody wanted their trilogy. You know, like you said, it's right in the middle of the Matrix, the summer of the Matrix getting released. And this was that thing for them. They didn't have to adapt it from anything. They already owned the IP. There was no money out of their pocket to do a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. So, uh, yeah, this this was the beginning. This is like... Just a little bit before shared universes were even a concept that anybody would think anything about. So this was like they're like, oh, we have our world that we can live in now. And, uh, you know, world building definitely became a big part of this franchise as well, as sure as you guys are going to talk about in the next couple of installments of this franchise. But, um, yeah, I, I agree 100 percent with your saying there. This was really kind of a, a, um, a, a, a bellwether for the future of Disney at that point. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's crazy, Scott. I, I'd never thought about it to that extent. Of like, just what a Rosetta Stone this movie is to like you know blockbuster filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but before all that, we have to uh, talk a little bit about a very important, if underwritten, member of Pirates of the Caribbean, the film franchise's history, and that is Jay Walpert. Uh, Jay Walpert. <laughs> Was... I thought you were going to say Jerry Brookheimer. And I was like, I don't think he yeah. is. <laughs> man, man, a little man named Jerry Brookheimer. <laughs> no one's heard of him. Uh, uh, Jay Walpert was a contestant on the original version of Jeopardy, uh, ultimately winning the Tournament of Champions. But not only that, in the process, defeating two of the highest winning contestants in Jeopardy history. Uh, after that, sometime later, Jerry Walpert turned to producing game shows instead of winning them. Uh, producing shows like Price is Right, Double Dare, Trivial Pursuit. Um, And then I really looked into this, folks. I really tried to find the connected tissue. But for some reason, Jay Wolpert wrote the script to the 2002 remake of The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh. (laughs) He, He just is credited as screenwriter to that. 
I tried to find interviews or something, but I, you know, but he just, he wrote this Monte Cristo script and that was pretty good, I guess. I've never seen it. Huh. Um, Kyle, have you ever seen Count of Monte Cristo? Oh yes. Loved it. Oh, is it good? Oh yeah. It's, it's a great fun time. Uh, another one where we took my brother late night to see a movie. Didn't really know what was going to happen. Came out of it like, Hey, that's really cool. You can make swashbuckling movies that are cool now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's good to know. So, so that came out in 2002. But uh, in the wake of that, uh, Jay Walpert was approached by Disney to write a Pirates of the Caribbean script in 2001. Now, they already had a story. Like Scott said, Disney was like in a really interesting place in the 2000s. They were suddenly finding themselves like outgunned and outmatched by, you know, like both of you have said, you know, Warner Brothers with Harry Potter, New Line with Lord of the Rings. And they were you know they were how do we uh tap into that teenage boy even maybe even adult market and not just like little kids so three studio execs brigham taylor michael haynes and josh Huron, got together and hashed out a uh kind of generic classic pirate story in the vein of like 1950 swashbucklers like with burt lancaster and errol flynn uh it was the story of a prison guard named Will Turner who frees a swashbuckling Errol Flynn type captain, Jack Sparrow to help him rescue his uh, lady love, Elizabeth Swan. So um, if you can imagine like this version that Jay Walpert wrote based on the story outline created by Disney execs, you can kind of imagine a movie like the Count of Monte Cristo uh, or the mask of Zorro. You know, this mm-hmm. very earnest, old-fashioned, swashbuckling adventure movie mm-hmm. um, with, like, Jack Sparrow being in the mold of, like, Errol Flynn and Burton Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were they were in the process of writing it. They had a script that they were excited about, but they had two – they had several things going against them. One was that at the time, pirate movies were considered to be box office poison. Mm-hmm. Cutthroat uh, Island. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> Cutthroat Island, starring Matthew Modine and Gina Davis, two of the biggest movie stars in the world before Cutthroat Island. Mm-hmm. Before, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they were like, okay, do we want this to be a theatrical release or a straight-to-video DVD release via our Buena Vista Home Entertainment division? Mm-hmm. You know, And then remember in the 2000s, every once in a while, you'd see like a sequel to something go straight-to-DVD. Right. This would have been like an original, maybe even a DCOM, you know, Disney Channel original movie. Oh. I don't know. That was just me speculating off the top of my dome. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> In any event, so they were like, okay, well, which co- which course do we want to chart? If the film had gone theatrically, they were talking about approaching uh, Matthew McConaughey as Captain Jack Sparrow. Huh. Because he was in the process of making Rain of Fire for Touchstone. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. Yeah, and this super earnest, non-weird version of the movie that the that Disney really wanted, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, if, if things had gone straight to video, they were talking to actors like Christopher Walken and Carrie Elways to play oh. Jack Sparrow, if you, if you can picture it. Christopher Walken, I, he could have done Barbosa. I yeah. don't know about Jack Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... He, He's a dancer, so he could have. It would have been interesting to see him do the the sword fighting. Yeah, that's true. I just can't imagine Christopher Walken as like a big romantic hero, yeah. swashbuckling hero. Oh, 
<laughs> yeah. Carrie Elwes, definitely. Sure. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Um, yeah. Hellwes. <laughs> All right. Uh, so enter. Uh, I don't know if this is a character you've talked about before on Theme Park. This Dick Cook, uh, very chairman little, of Disney. Yeah. Uh, yeah, chairman of Disney between 2002 and 2009. In fact, at that at that time, Cook was the highest exec left who had been there before the Eisner administration. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Kind of paints the picture of his power mm-hmm. position at the time, I guess. Um, so, like both of you said. Uh, Cook was sort of of the opinion that, like, we, we need an X-Men. We need a Matrix. We need a big hit franchise that can have, like, four-quadrant appeal. We're getting smoked at the box office. It's two thousand. It's the early 2000s. Disney's in a bad way. So yeah. Dick Cook approaches Jerry Brockheimer, producer of Michael Bay's early works, like Armageddon, uh, Bad Boys, 2003's Bad Boys 2. And it was like, Jerry Brockheimer... <laughs> uh, Jerry I like that the sequel gets a gets a date, but the first one does not. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, the same summer the Pirates came out, I think. Oh yeah, true, true, man. Cool. Yeah, it feels older though. It doesn't feel like it came out that summer, but yeah, yeah. I see what you mean because that was also the year that Too Fast and Furious came out. Wow! And all three of those movies, all they they all feel like different eras. Yeah, what a weird time to be alive. Definitely, and I should know. <laughs> Both, of, all three of us. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Uh, okay. So Dick Cook was like, hey, Jerry Brockheimer, do you want to produce a live action pirate movie? And Brockheimer was like, uh, if it's cool, like, <laughs> I don't want to I don't, I don't do this. I don't want to do this script. I don't think this is cool. Uh, you know, we need to tilt it. We need to do something cool and unexpected. So they approached uh, or Brockheimer produ- uh, approached screenwriters Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, uh, writers of The Mask of Zorro. Aladdin, I think. Mm-hmm. Matt, the 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 idea like of approaching, like the fact that this is written by the same people who wrote Mask of Zorro, is like, I mean you, I mean you know not it is with Matrix Summer, but you can totally see the Matrix code like between these two those two movies. Oh yeah, um, and oh, just sure. be like, oh yeah, they're the they're the same. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like it it's like it's like exactly the same tonally and like the 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 writing, the style of humor. Which is like all in character and never like never making fun of itself in the right. way that like the Marvel movies would go on to do, you know, like mm-hmm. where it like takes the wind out of its own sails. Um, it's just like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. That's really great. Yeah, like a lot of the coolest m- moments in Zorro feel like pirates moments. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Of, like, oh, he has a, he has a rope, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, the cannibal hit the bad guy. And Zorro's like, well, but, you know, crazy stuff happens, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. weirdly, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio by themselves had always thought, wow, how come no one's ever added supernatural elements to a pirate movie? Hmm. It seems to make such perfect sense. So when this offer came their way, they were like, oh, well, what if it was supernatural and there was a curse and you had like skeleton pirates and that excited Brockheimer, but it made Michael Eisner very nervous mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the exact same reason. You know, Brockheimer was like, that sounds weird and different. I like it. And Michael Eisner was like, oh, sh- shit. <laughs> that sounds uh, weird and different. Yeah. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> I don't know if I like that. <laughs> uh, and so part of So, you know, that was Brockheimer's vision of like, how do we get the teenage guy to come go see this movie? How do we get like 
older kids to see this and see it as something cool like Lord of the Rings or the Matrix. And mm-hmm. uh, one of uh, one thing they thought they could do is to cast a cool, unexpected actor in the role of Jack Sparrow, um, casting against type instead of like a classic Errol Flynn, Matthew McConaughey type. So they went to Jim Carrey. but uh, unfortunately jim carrey was getting ready to film bruce almighty which would also come out in the summer of 2003 good lord uh so then they uh so this is interesting i didn't know this uh johnny depp was meeting with dick cook at the time to discuss working on one of disney's animated films uh he was like hey i have kids now we've been watching all these Disney classics when I've been taking care of them. And I'm like, I would love to be a voice in like a cartoon, you know, you have coming up. And Dick Hook was like, uh, well, we're getting ready to make a live action pirate movie. Do you want in on that? And he was like, wait, like a real, like a real pirate movie. And he was like, yeah, like with swords and stuff. And Johnny Depp was like, yeah, hell yeah. I meant. <laughs> wow. And, right. and that was also kind of the similar way they got director Gore Verbinski. Um, he he saw this as like wow we haven't I haven't seen a pirate movie in a long time no one has um, I have such fond memories of like those fifties pirate Errol Flynn movies and that sense of adventure I want to bring that feeling back to life and reanimate that like a zombie pirate and <laughs> and I think that kind of goes back to intent is everyone from the director and Brockheimer all the way to like the artisans and designers and costume people and set people all rallied under this vision of like, we're making a pirate movie. Like, you know, we're making an adventure movie. Yeah. There's all this crazy new technology that we're adding to it, but at the soul, we want to do something very classical. And, you know, uh, the first time I wrote pirates, I didn't realize that we're technically writing through a memory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least in the Disneyland version in the Disney world version, not so much, but in the Disneyland version. Yeah. Okay. Is it is it Jack Sparrow in the Disney World version? Uh yeah. No, there there's no I mean he's in it. Like he is okay. in the Disneyland one. They've like they've like shoved him in there. Mm-hmm. But oh, there's right. not like a guy playing the banjo and like thinking about like when he was a pirate. Right. Like, I killed you know, a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm the last one alive. <laughs> I'm the last uh, pirate. I won. <laughs> I did uh, it. It's like <laughs> Yeah, the that guy is not in the Disney World version. It's it's um, truncated in that way yeah um yeah uh so kind of but yeah kyle did you do you remember like were you a fan of all those movies that i mentioned i mean like you know matrix lord of the rings like at the time were you were you like excited for pirates coming out or did it catch you by surprise like scott uh yeah as soon as i saw that first trailer i was like i'm totally in on this i mean you know big budget summer blockbusters have always been kind of my bread and butter of you know um uh, probably I consume more of them than I probably should. <laughs> I should consume more French new wave, but uh, yeah, that's my thing. But um, yeah, uh, stuff like the old Errol Flynn, like, you know, captain blood, uh, that kind of stuff was not, I hadn't really seen many of those, but you know, like any child who grew up in the eighties, the Goonies was a huge part of my cinematic DNA. So uh, that was definitely when I, you know, when I saw like, Oh, they're actually doing pirates, right? Like, you know, I, I had been burned, by Cutthroat Island before I had been, uh, you know, I enjoyed Muppets Treasure Island. So I felt like this is the one that's actually going to get the pirate movie right, you know. Um, so and, you know, it's um, 
that that X factor that you were talking about there that Bruckheimer came in with kind of like, I want to do it, but it's got to be the supernatural thing. Like that's really what made this movie special, right? Without that, it's just master and commander, which by the way, great movie, but this is just that little thing, that little, you know, fantasy element that puts it over the edge and really kind of spoke to a, God, how old is I? 24 year old. Okay. Wasn't that young, but (laughs) young (laughs) enough to still to legally enjoy this kind of thing. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right, Kyle. You know, and I think this is the kind of movie that most people go out and see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think what's so great about Pirates is it doesn't see that as like, it's still smart and it's still mm-hmm. creative and inventive while still being like a big popular for everybody movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it sucks that like more movies like this don't aim for that same amount of invention and fun. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think in, in the filmmakers, especially like with Gore Verbinski, it's like he's got this like canvas to play with. You know, it's kind of like, well, we want a pirate movie and it's got to have these fantasy elements. You just, you know, do what you're going to do to make it profitable or whatever. And right. it, you can really tell that they, they had a lot of fun with that production. Right. Yeah. 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 And I have, I have a little like, uh, you know, facts and tidbits and stuff as we go through the breakdown. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess one last little bit that was interesting, though, before the before production is just how trepidatious Eisner was throughout the process. Oh yeah. Uh, he didn't like how expensive the movie was getting. He, mm-hmm. he was like, why are we spending all this money on sets and costumes and extras and weapons and boats? And Brockheimer had to talk him down and be like, this is what your competition is doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, they're spending 150 million on their movies. Like if you want to be in the arena with the matrix and Lord of the Rings, we have to spend that amount of, money and mm-hmm. i think it really lives on the screen mm-hmm. um, yeah that yeah. amount of i, I want to say that there's yeah, a like, story about uh eisner was involved in a production of some richard gear movie which was like the story of i don't know if it was moses or something like that but oh um, king david king david that's the one so there's a story about when during the production of king david uh the, the guys are wearing like period appropriate stuff and it looks like a skirt on the screen and, you know, the, the the movie comes out and people have all these comments about like it was really weird that they were wearing dresses, that the men were wearing dresses or whatever. And Eisner, that supposedly stuck in his head that kind of like, I got to play things straight laced. You know, we'd have to if we'd put them in pants, the movie wouldn't have failed or something stupid like that. And he's at this meeting at the original reading of the script. Have you heard the story uh, about the original screening at the Viper Room or the reading of the script? No, no. Okay, so they're reading it at Johnny Depp's club, The Viper Room, and Verbinski's there, and Bruckheimer's there, and, and uh, Eisner's there, and uh, Johnny Depp starts going into his the early stages of what would become Jack Sparrow, and Eisner is immediately like, this is too effeminate, this is too weird, We're gonna, it's going to be King David all over again, and he stops it, and he's like, okay, you can't do that in my movie, that's not going to happen, and Johnny Depp apparently like stands up and po- points at the table, and he's like, in this circle you don't get to make decisions. It's like, you've come into our circle now. These are the creatives. We're the ones who tell the story here. And Eisner, like, shut up. And that was kind of like the moment where he was like, I guess he's, you know, still had qualms with the production, obviously, because of the expense of everything. But from a creative standpoint, I think that was kind of like, Johnny Depp was really the one who kind of stepped forward and said, like, we're going to be making something here and making our own decisions on it. So, uh, yeah, Eisner, um, I think he just felt burned by uh, King David, (laughs) which is strangely enough, had, uh, you know. Right, wow. Well, and I think that I think that Eisner, you know, being on his way out, uh, forced out mm-hmm. by the Disney company, um, I think that he 
was just an old man who was realizing how out of touch he was. And I think that this movie being a hit worked in his favor in terms of like capping off his legacy on a good note, right? But on his way out the door because he did ultimately green light this. But I think it was in duress. I don't think mm-hmm. he understood it. And when it was a hit, I think it was the thing that made him realize how out of touch he was mm. as a CEO. It's like, I'm not going to be a good CEO. Even if I had stuck around, all I would do is fail because I don't know what the hell anyone wants anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that story definitely leads credence to the fact that like he was just an old man with one foot out the door. You know, He was ready to retire whether he knew it or not. Mm-hmm. By the rule book, he knew everything was working against this production. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Country Bears flopped while right. they were making this, and he tried to shut down production of the movie. And they were like, look at look at Port Royal and tell us <laughs> yeah. <that laughs> it's happening. We're doing this. Yeah. Why are you look, – look at the difference. Look at, look at Port <laughs> Royal and then watch the Country Bears. Like yeah. – <laughs> Like, just watch it and tell me that we're not making a much superior film. Yeah. And, and ultimately he was, you know, the being there did win him over to the point where he never shut it down. Um, right. But, yeah, and, like, the movie works like gangbusters. I can't wait to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, this movie starts off with what is, I think, one of the most famous. I mean, it's the first thing that you ever hear in any trailer or anything for this movie, which is young Elizabeth Swan softly singing Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho um, in that sort of like creepy, that that now uh, ubiquitous, like creepy r- remake of a song, uh, slow <laughs> re- remake did, of a song. Did it that, start that too? I think that, yeah, I think this started that. I think this is the start of that. Of like, you know, the song is like a jolly, like, yo-ho, yo-ho. And then you watch the movie and it's like, yo-ho, <laughs> yeah, minor key. yo And it's just this creepy thing um, with the fog and everything. Which, okay, so, so she's singing this song. They're really upset that she's singing a pirate song. Um, Mr. Gibbs. Elizabeth Swan in this movie, uh, I, I, I'm going to have to make this meme just to, like, scratch the itch of it. But she's totally like the Marge potato meme, but the potato are pirates, and she just thinks they're neat. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> that's her whole character. It's just like, I just think they're neat. Um, <laughs> I, I love that she always refers to reading all about Jack Sparrow's adventures and like mm-hmm. reading all these pirate tales, but like we never see her doing it. So I like to imagine that it's like big old Victorian like magazines or like newspaper serials <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's this fog everywhere, or at least we think it's fog, and it ends up being smoke. Right? Is that the implication, or is the smoke just m- like mixing with the fog? Um, in any event, there's an exploded ship. It's on actively on fire, mm-hmm. and uh, and they find the last survivor of it, which is a boy on a plank, um, and they bring him on board. And once they realize he's alive, they treat him like a prisoner because <laughs> Norrington sucks. Um, <laughs> and uh, does he suck and, or does the system suck, Scott? I I mean I th- I he's upholding the system, so both things can suck simultaneously. Fair enough. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, Will uh, is the boy, um, Will Turner, and uh, he's wearing a pirate medallion, which um, Elizabeth steals mm-hmm. uh, and keeps for herself the rest of her life. Um, 
Um, and uh, and that's that. Norrington is introduced here as like a young man. He seems to be like, I don't know, in his twenties. I assume if you're feeling charitable, age. like early twenties, you know, right. If you're feeling charitable, which, yeah, I don't know. Um, but then later, when we're introduced to um, uh, older Elizabeth, we have Norrington around now. And he's wearing, like, his, like, powdered wig now because he's, like, not a young man. Um, and now he's, like, really into her despite knowing her since she was a little girl. And it is easily the creepiest thing about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um it is off-putting. <laughs> I ap- I appreciate that they do make a point of showing adult Norrington and child Elizabeth in the you know what I mean. It kind of just yeah that's you can true. you can feel you I guess that kind of helps the viewer sympathize with Elizabeth of like oh she has to marry that dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. Um, but uh, oh, but I just yeah. I, the the oh, that opening is so perfect and like like mythic. And like I, I, I don't know when the when like Elizabeth when he will wakes up and she's like it's okay I'll take care of you I'm like yeah who wouldn't be in love with whoever that person would be mm-hmm. oh yeah and like absolutely vice versa of like yeah. oh my god this pi- this pirate weird pirate boy just washed up on my boat yeah we're also low key introduced to Mister Gibbs who is not into women on boats <laughs> um really just morally against it real morally opposed because <laughs> of because of the bad luck yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, can I say something uh, too, uh, real quick? Um, before all of that, uh, the very opening of this film, no Disney logo, even when it played originally in the theaters. It's straight, no castle or anything. Yeah. It goes straight into it. I, I've never understood why they didn't have the castle or anything like that. It was very weird. All of the sequels true. do. Yeah, I think they do. Yeah. yeah. Had they had the had the three D castle logo started? No, that was at this actually point? for Dead Man's Chest. Was the first movie that ever had that. Uh, before it, yeah. I, well, there you go. Maybe that's what it is. It's like they didn't want, they wanted to have the time to like sort of remake the logo to suit the tone, mm-hmm. maybe. Well, I mean, um, I think you're right. And like, I think Kyle makes a good, I mean, like this really did just make Disney in a way that mm-hmm. I don't think this movie gets enough credit for. Yeah. 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 Live action I for agree. sure. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So... Elizabeth is basically set up being set up by her father to like marry Norrington, which she seems thrilled about. Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't. <laughs> she does not. Karen Knightley. Uh, yeah. Karen Knightley. Yeah. I, I mean, um, Bethany, you know. Bethany told me an interesting fact about Karen Knightley in this movie that, you know how um, in a lot of movies, they will sort of like airbrush abs onto people or accentuate abs. I mean, we talked about that in Twilight. With um with Edward, how they right. like airbrushed abs on him, but made Taylor Lautner grow real abs. <laughs> yeah, but made him grow real ones. Um, apparently, uh, they airbrushed her breasts to make them look bigger, hmm. which is uh, the saddest, creepiest thing I think I've ever heard. I don't like that. That's a th- that is a fact that Bethany told me while we were watching this, and I was like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Did she even try to offer where she heard that, or did she just like leave that fact in the middle of the table to sit? <laughs> yeah, no, it's just just on the table. She Great. was like, "There it is." She just pushed it over to me. Yeah, I, I, I'll never. It's so it's so crazy to look back. I mean, I think I believe she's seventeen as of like the filming of this. Like, was still a teenager. I think she is. 
I think she is technically had just turned 18 because she's 17 in Love Actually, That's which I think was shot before this. Um, you, Love Actually, where she's marrying a, a, a like a 38 year old man, and where, right. where another 35 year old man is in love with her. <laughs> I mean, like all three of us can attest to. I don't think you know kids don't know what a like a meteor Kira Knightley put in like the early 2000s in, in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For all of us. Did sudden. you do you remember that review of Bendit like Beckham that that called her like the hottest beanpole tomboy yeah. to ever hit the screen? And it, and she was like 16 or 15 or 16 in that movie and it was the creepiest thing. And they the movie the 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 studio was just promoting that quote. Like, "Hell yeah, she is." And it's like, "Guys, she is a teenager. What are you doing?" Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the the full guilt hadn't set in yet for such a, a, a big deal. Everybody made out of Britney Spears hit me one more time. So we were still in a cultural kind of like coming to terms with everything. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it, it was yeah. a different. Yeah, but it, in I any mean, of no excuse. No, yeah, no, but 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 uh, but what's crazy is like, you know, with with Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley, I just immediately just two movie stars that mm-hmm. you've never seen before. I mean, you know, you're just in Lord of the Rings, but like. Mm-hmm. They're so good in this. Yeah, they really are. She is honestly incredible in this. Mm-hmm. Just like for for how minimal I would say her character is on paper, right? Because like I think on paper it's just like I like I don't want to marry this guy. I kind of like this little boy that I saved. And I was uh, Orlando Bloom. Pi- I think pirates are cool. I want to like I'm I'm like more adventure vibes than like princess vibes, you know. That's kind of it. But like, there's just something about Keira Knightley's personality that she puts into Elizabeth Swan that is just like, you know, keeps her on par with the other two leads. You know, um, which I think you could see a lot of other actresses not go that hard with this character, and she totally does. Like she she finds this character and makes her iconic, and I find that really impressive. Kyle, you Elizabeth Swan fan? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I and, and a Keira Knightley fan as well. <laughs> you know? um, oh, for she's, sure. She's a great actress, and uh, haven't seen much of her lately. Um, but I guess when you've got Pirates of the Caribbean franchise money, you know, you can be really picky about what you do from there on out. So, uh, yeah, That's true. She's great in that crazy Nutcracker movie. Oh God, it's so weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I could only get halfway through it, but I can't. Oh, good on you. She was good. Yeah. <laughs> she um, was good. One quick thing, not to like get get to the whole movie, but like if you watch, one thing I want to c- kind of start talking about going into mm-hmm. this miniseries is this is such a good first chapter in Elizabeth Swan's story, mm-hmm. and I I really buy that you could argue this trilogy is like the Elizabeth Swan trilogy, mm-hmm. and like the roots of eventual like pirate queen elizabeth swan is pretty deftly set up in this first movie for none of that being planned Mm -hmm. right yeah no she's battle hardened by the time we get to that third movie (laughs) yeah Yeah. i'm excited to talk about the sequels for sure um okay so will stops by we learn that he is a blacksmith and he makes swords although everyone credits his master her potato his uh, potatoes is swords yeah yeah (laughs) Um, his potato is swords. Yes. Perfectly balanced as, as all things should be. <laughs> I just think they're neat. <laughs> yeah. So oh no, I totally thought swords. of Thanos too though. When he said that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, 
another another uh, Disney franchise. Um, Thanos starts here and ends in Endgame, and there you go. That's mm. Disney in a uh, Disney in the yeah. 21st century. Your favorite <laughs> Disney walk around character, Thanos. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Yeah, so he makes the sword. Uh, it ends up it's supposed to be a gift for Norrington, um, and uh, uh, which he doesn't seem crazy about. Uh, there's this interesting thing that happens in um, movies where people are not being credited properly for like what they do, and so you know her dad is like, "Oh, tell your master, you know, give my give your master my compliments," and he has this look on his face like. I made this, but then he's like, okay, I will. And I'm like, just tell him you made the sword and that your master's a drunkard piece of shit. <laughs> like, what's the big deal? I don't know. The classic just millennial the truth. not knowing how to take credit for his work. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, but, uh, yeah, so then we get the Jack, Captain Jack Sparrow introduction, which is arguably – maybe the greatest character introduction in cinematic history maybe so um, yeah i would I, I would put that i would say it's up there it's at least in contention mm-hmm. for greatest character introduction in cinematic history um and it was so exciting to watch back in 2003 because like it's how i felt watching lord of the rings for the first time is it felt like we like our generation were, was getting something at the level of like star wars or indiana jones Mm-hmm. and yeah like the when the sip is sinking it's so funny but it he he's so good and like when he takes his hat off for the pirates mm-hmm. um there's a dignity and a intelligence to it that unfortunately i think is just gonna get eroded with time yes <laughs> yeah. but all, all yeah. i could think about while watching this movie is how good johnny depp is mm-hmm. in this movie and just thinking like man i miss this guy yeah i really do miss this guy um, because, and you know, it's entirely possible that he was never really the guy that I wanted him to be at that time. Maybe he was always kind of like a jerk. I don't know. I don't know that we'll ever know for sure. But, um, I think that, you know, his lifestyle choices eroded him as an actor at the very least. Um, and I think that the, this was like kind of the last thing that he was truly, truly great in mm-hmm. was this movie. Um, I think that he's good in the sequels, but I don't like the the two. The the when I say the sequels, I'm always talking about the Gore Verbinski sequels, yeah. <laughs> not the ones that come after. Um, but he's good in the the Verbinski sequels, but it still doesn't even come close to how good he is in this one. I mean, he won an Oscar for this, right? I think it was nominated. Or was he nominated? Yeah. Oh, you okay? Yeah. He didn't win, right? Okay. Right. Sean Penn won for screaming his little heart out in Mystic River. Oh, oh right. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah. This this shot of him, the very first introductory shot, shot it, it looks like Magic Hour, you know. It looks so damn good, and these movies look so damn good, and everything Gore Verbinski ever does, you see every penny that is spent up on the screen. Like, it just looks so expensive. Like, you know, the glow on his skin, the makeup, the costuming, everything is absolutely right. And then he jumps down, and he's in a boat full of water. And it is so funny, and it's just like the perfect encapsulation of like where this character is going to go, and just how it's not what you expect. And 
and you know he's this brave pirate but he's also effeminate and kind of like half drunk all the time and you know <laughs> looking like a weirdo but just just i just wanted to take a moment to talk about like just how damn good the cinematography in this movie is and you know when we talk about the other theme park movies that were put out um that this one stands out on many levels but also like there's care and time and it put into just the visual uh recreation of of everything on screen here and you get so much of it in just that first shot of him standing on top of the mast, and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Verbinski is such a good director, mm-hmm. and I wish that he didn't have so much development problems yeah. after the Pirates sequels, because I think that he we would be talking about him as like a David Fincher-level um, you know, creative person where we're just like, oh, everything that we see by him, we have to like every everything that he makes, we have to see. You know, he would be up there with those like Christopher Nolan, David Fincher, that sort of thing. Cause like, you know, even before this, right? It's it's insane how good the ring is. Oh yeah. You know, like the ring has no right to be as good as it is. Um, especially considering it is almost a scene-for-scene remake of the Japanese original film. And yet, most people argue that it is superior. And that never happens with American remakes of, of foreign films. Like, you know, just just the inner hipster in all of us can never admit that, <laughs> right? Uh, most of the time. Regardless of whether it's true or not, no one wants to admit it. And that's one of the only cases where everyone sort of unanimously is like, yeah, and then Gore Verbinski made this, a superior <laughs> version of that same exact movie. Um, and that that is impressive. He made Mouse Hunt, which is a movie that has no right to look as good as it does mm-hmm. for what it is, which is basically home alone with a mouse. <laughs> um, it's, um, it's, it's kind of insane. Uh, and, and he should be up there with one of those like top tier directors. And it's unfortunate that it was just one move, one project after another falling through mm-hmm. where now he's making things like the cure to Wellville that everyone is like, eh. Okay. You know, like, like everyone is just like, yeah, I mean, it looks nice, I guess, but like the movie's kind of a nothing movie and that's like all he's kind of known for now. And it's, it's a bummer. Like, I hope that he gets another big hit because I would like him to be a top tier director because I think he is. It's just that he needs to get a project off the ground, but I think he's an expensive filmmaker just in general. Remember he was going to do that Bioshock movie. Yeah. I still want to see that movie. And nobody else oh, should direct sure, it because nobody else does wet like Verbinski does. You know, the guy has a way to shoot that's things true. that are wet and just nobody else can replicate that. Yeah, just, that's true. If, if something's dripping, you get you yeah. get Gore Verbinski. Get me Verbinski. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah, it's true. It's why the Lone Ranger didn't work. Not enough wet. <laughs> Too dry. Too dry. Uh, Cure for Wellness looks like it had some water. That's true. Yeah. And it looked really nice. Mm-hmm. It looked right. great. Yeah. He's back. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, Port Royal is an incredible set. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, They just like built this on an island, right? They just, yeah. Like, found... Yeah. They they had a long time. They eventually found uh, uh, St. Victoria, the island, this island in the Caribbean, because it was just the quietest one. Mm-hmm. They were like, they just had trouble finding a, a patch of land that hadn't been turned into like a hotel or a beach or something, mm-hmm. you know? Like a resort. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, uh, let's see. So, what else is happening? Elizabeth 
puts on a corset for the first time, which is like a new hot fashion item from France. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and this this movie hates the French. I will say there's a <laughs> there's a lot of jokes about French people. I wonder how well this movie did in France because or if they changed it in the French language to be like somebody else's fault. All of this stuff, but. <clears throat> American movies, it's, really, it's, 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 it's low-hanging fruit, just knocking the French down a peg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, so uh, so she's got this corset. She's never worn one before. It's crushing her lungs. <laughs> and uh, as Norrington is proposing to her on the side of like a, I, what, do you, what do you call this? Like a fort? What is this thing that yeah. they're on top of? Yeah, like a fort. I like, I like fort. Um, on the edge of a cliff, she mm-hmm. falls off. Uh, Great like, fall. She like, passes out. Yeah, I don't oh, know. If yeah, that's, great fall. I don't know if that's Keira Knightley or, or a stunt person, but it's. I always like. God, what a great fall! Yeah, it's really good. Um, and she falls into the water, mar- narrowly missing the the pointy rocks. Oh, and so, um, so then we get one of my favorite lines where uh, Jack Sparrow's like, and then they made me their chief. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is apparently like a reference to this like '60s British comedy duo that Johnny Depp likes because, of course, it is. Ah, uh, but. I remember thinking the scene right before that where Jack Sparrow is like fooling around with the two royal guards and he's like, you haven't seen like like that. It, I just remember being really impressed by the work being done on the script of like, you're not stealing that ship. That's the fastest ship. Well, that's the strongest ship. Oh, you're the captain of the Black Pearl. You haven't been on the Black Pearl, the scariest ship in the world, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, and like and it's and like then while you're laughing at that, Jack Sparrow is like stealing the ship. And so you're like, <laughs> oh, I love this guy. You know, like so much is happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so he sees her fall and jumps in after her because he's like, are either of you going to go save that woman? And they're like, we can't swim. And he's like, some Navy soldiers you are. And then just jumps in the water um, and goes, gets her and knows to like she can't breathe because of the corset. Mm-hmm. Um, rips it off, of course, as her uh, her. uh, uh, uh what do you call what do you call a guy who's like courting her um yeah but like norrington shows up and he's like let's kill him she's like yeah suitor there we go um his his, her suitor which he's not thrilled with and the dad's not thrilled with it and uh and but she she like talks this movie is a is really this series is like a series of people talking other people out of killing jack sparrow (laughs) really is it's a series yeah. of deals and trades and yeah. parlays. Yeah. Yeah. You could kill me or we could do this other thing. Kill me later. Kill me later. Um, because I have value. Yeah. And that's a, <laughs> yeah. And then we get that great, you know, escape where he's like swinging around and they're shooting at him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of swinging around and stuff. Um, but yeah, he, he ends up escaping and running to the blacksmith like barn, whatever you would mm-hmm. call that. Um, and, uh, and he's in there where Will comes back, um, and finds his drunkard master blacksmith, uh, asleep right where he left him, but then notices things are askew. And then we cue, uh, uh, our first kind of real major sword fight of the movie, um, right. be- between Jack and Will in the, in the blacksmith barn. And I think this is a good time to bring up, uh, a guy named Bob Anderson, who served as the sword master for this movie. Um, mm-hmm. He had been had been working in Hollywood since the 1950s with Errol Flynn. Oh, wow. And like, per- and like personally trained all the actors and his, you know, kind of talked about choreography before character. And like, 
I don't know, like just watching the footage, him rehearsing with the actor. And like, you know, these are some of the best sword fights ever. Uh, And, you know, this is kind of one of his last movies. He worked on some of the Lord of the Rings movies as well. And, uh, but yeah, like we're not even 30 minutes in. We already have like this amazing sword fight between Will and Jack Sparrow. Yeah. I think the thing that makes the sword fights so good is their use of, you know, the set. Of like the world around them, right? Yeah, the space. They're not just sword fighting. Yeah, the the space. They're also like jumping on stuff and swinging on things, and you know it's all built into the choreography. Um, and I think it's really great. And then you know you have this great character thing that Jack always does, which is he is not the best swordsman, but he is very good at cheating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> and because he has no honor, so he will always cheat to win. Uh, that's what makes him a pirate. And uh, I'm I'm a big I'm a big fan of that as like a character thing. Where he's like, I don't know what you expected. You're sword fighting with a pirate. Why do you think I'm going to be honorable? <laughs> it's pretty great. Um. So anyway, and uh, I really, I, I love like those moments of humor too that they had put in the fight, like mm-hmm. of just the little flourishes of creativity and fun, like the the donkey recognizing the hot poker and like starting the thing because he's trying to get away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. Oh no! I think he gets burned. I don't think he's recognizes the hot poker. I think he pokes him with it. Right. Well, he, yeah, because like we saw him get poked earlier. Oh yeah, yeah. And so we like right. he knows and we know. We're like, oh no. Yeah, that poor donkey. Every day um, that happens to him, probably. <laughs> oh, terrible. Uh, so so basically, so Jack gets put in a jail cell. Yeah. Um, oh, we get another thing that you were talking about of uh, the guy. The, the blacksmith takes credit for something Will did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. Um, but yeah, Jack Jack gets put in a jail cell. And then because Elizabeth fell into the water wearing the medallion, it calls the Pearl um, to Port Royal uh, because that's all they're doing is chasing these medallions for reasons we'll get into later. Um, but uh, the Pearl arrives and takes the village. And now we get this sort of recreation of the scene from the ride uh, where you, you cross into like a battle between a pirate ship and the shoreline, um, a cannon battle and, uh, and the, the sort of like burning of the village and uh, chaos and uh, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, (laughs) you know, the whole deal. Kyle, had you, uh, had you ridden Pirates of the Caribbean before seeing the movie? Uh yeah, I've I've ridden that ride since I was a little kid. So um, this was all okay. I was like waiting to see all this stuff. Now, forgive me if I do. We get a shot of the dog with the keys prior to this, where Johnny yes. Depp is uh, or Jack Sparrow is saying something. He can whistle for that dog all day. He's not going to give you the keys. Or am I thinking wrong? Mm-hmm. Which is no, you're right. And it's such a meta joke in retrospect because it's mm-hmm. like a reference to like him being a robot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's funny <laughs> but it's it's funny because uh they do kind of like blow most of their references to the ride right here in the in this part of the movie i mean we get, we get a little bit later in tortuga i think but it is kind of like they're really out of the ride influence on this pretty early as far as this goes um uh it, it, with with the sequence mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's yeah. uh you know there's still some there's still some references, like the treasure room mm-hmm. is obviously a reference. Um, there's the scene where Barbosa reveals that he's a skeleton and takes a drink of rum, and you see the rum come down his 
skeleton chest yeah. and that's a reference to the ride mm. um you know things like that but they're like they're like real like you know little little hits mr gibbs with the pigs mm-hmm. um you know that that's <laughs> my whole, favorite band that stuff yeah <laughs> mr gibbs and the pigs yeah yeah <laughs> oh man um so okay so yeah so we get this whole thing we've got the pirates like chasing the women out of their houses and they're in their in their gym jams um just like the ride you know the whole the whole deal um and now it's and now it's funny in retrospect because they are adapting the OG version of the ride and now the ride has shifted so much that now the women are chasing the pirates on the ride because they've like shifted the gender roles and everything and made them less victims. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the, but the movie is still that old version, which I think is interesting. The pirates are for how much of comedic relief they become in the sequels. They're genuinely scary in this movie. Yeah. Like, just as like pirate characters, you're like, I think they're going to murder and they're going to pillage the shit out of this village, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The amount of danger and menace in this sequence and like, you know, yeah, like it, it's it's pretty surprising for a Disney movie. But um, yeah. maybe that's what Eisner was so, you know, skittish about. Yeah. Yeah. Could yeah. be. And I like that we Very get the well the establishment that the, these pirates kind of have personality, too. You know, like there's the guy with the bombs that runs out and, you know, isn't his beard on fire, I think. It, yeah. It's these aren't just like, you know, nameless yeah. pirates. It's like, okay, we've got a bomb guy. We've got an axe guy. You know, we've got a guy with dreadlocks. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the, the Black Pearl uh, has a lot of uh, diversity in the ways that they're going to pillage this town. Yeah. It just really adds to the overall sense of excitement to mm-hmm. the movie of like, oh, look at all these colorful new characters to watch. Like, the, right. these are just boring extras. And it's also, you know, it's it's filmmaking 101, blockbuster filmmaking 101 in terms of like, I you could put a gun to my head and be like, what are their names? And I know that they all have names, but I don't know them, right? But I do know like, oh yeah, there's Eyeball Guy, <laughs> and then there's his friend. There's like the Eyeball <laughs> Guy's friend who's like a little shorter than him. Um, and then there's like the the uh, the, the really tall one, with, like the face tattoos, yeah. the, mm-hmm. like the tall one with the face tattoos. Yeah. And, and so like you, you can like point at them and be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, yeah, that guy. And like that's enough for me to follow them because mm-hmm. they're like supporting characters, but they still allow them to have enough of a personality that they stand out, you know, without you needing to mem- memorize all of their names. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, you know, really, funnily enough, Scott, that turned out to be something very intentional on Verbinski's part when he signed on to direct. Um, mm. He he was really interested in filling the cast from toe to tip with these really interesting faces and these like really interesting character actors that it would have memorable line deliveries and presences that even if they only had a few lines, you would you know f- be interested by them. And I think that really adds to the movie in spades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Um so the 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 comedy duo pirates, they they right. come very menacingly for Elizabeth um who demands a parlay uh because she's read things about pirates and she's like I can ask for a parlay and then they have to take me to their captain. <laughs> um and so she asks for the parlay and they they take her to Barbosa and this is when we're introduced to Captain Barbosa, Jeffrey Wright, just absolute legend. Edward and Rush. So, so, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, Jeffrey Rush. Um, Another legend. So, yeah. yes, so good in this movie that 
despite the fact that his story should be done, mm-hmm. <laughs> they still find a way to bring him back in the sequels because they're like, how could we do Pirates without Jeffrey Rush? Which is fascinating considering everyone associates the Pirates movies with Jack Sparrow, but also, but the studio is like, but also Barbosa, right? Everybody. Yeah. And they're, he's totally, they're totally right. But it's just it's just funny to me that like the 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 franchise is so associated with Johnny Depp that everyone forgets that Barbosa is like a major part of the franchise as well. Mm-hmm. He's the secret sauce to it, really. I mean, you can't make one of these things yeah. without him in it. If, you know, Dead Man's Chess. He's in it. You know, he's not in it for like ninety nine point nine percent of the film, but makes a hell of an entrance at the end. You know, uh, oh yeah, where it it really wouldn't feel right. And uh, you know, going forward with the franchise, I know they want to try some different stuff with it. They're really going to have to find somebody that fills that Jeffrey Rush role that Barbosa role in it because it does feel incomplete without that that archetype of pirate in there as well yeah uh jenny nicholson has uh like a a quick youtube video about like the the half-life of the pirates franchise Hmm. and she mentions that like you know with jack sparrow being such a postmodern take on the the pirate Mm -hmm. um it kind of makes you love barbosa even more because he's like a pirate's pirate Mm -hmm. yeah he's He's like what you expect, and he like he delivers. So you get that too, right? That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Oh man. Anyway, he's great. Um, <laughs> he's great. So they have their parlay, uh, and she lies and says her last name is Turner, which yeah. they're like, oh, okay. So this is Bootstrap Bill's kid, and we're gonna kidnap you now because we gotta yeah. take care of business. With and going back name. to what you said earlier, Scott, like I think this is like the 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 protein of the movie mm-hmm. where it's it's not flashy but you're like this is so good because like it, it makes elizabeth an active agent in the movie mm-hmm. to where the audience won't disengage of like oh it's the girl you know we can go get our popcorn right of like oh she's lying and machinating and you know doing stuff and then you're like oh who's bootstrap oh is that freaking orlando bloom's dad you know because if you're already working ahead right right yeah absolutely um, so yeah, so all that's really good. The next morning, Will, uh, meets with, uh, Jack Sparrow because he's like, he go well, first he goes and he meets with, with her father and Norrington and he's like, what are you guys standing around for? We gotta go <laughs> save her. And they're just like, I'm planning things. And he's like, oh, fuck you both. And then he just goes to, <laughs> he just goes to Jack Sparrow. He's like, I'm going to break you out of this prison if you help me save her. And he's like, cool, let's do it. Um, and so, so he breaks him out. By just ripping the door off, uh, which is really funny, uh, and uh, and uh, and then they go um, about finding a ship and then um, a crew, uh, and that's sort of like their storyline in like the top of Act Two yeah. is like one putting of the, a, a pirate crew together. Yeah, one of the coolest. I I know we're we're so we're only at halfway point, but like one of the coolest heists of all time. And I think the moment the audience really falls in love with Jack Sparrow is the, the fake out of like, you think he's robbing the dauntless, but he actually wanted the interceptor Mm -hmm. because it's already been prepared by the whole crew. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, really, really good. Um, so, so yeah, so that, that's when they, uh, they, they find, uh, Mr. Gibbs sleeping with the mystical on the Isle of Tortuga. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and then they use him to help them find a crew. Um, and then we get uh, this is where we get uh, Zoe Saldana showing up, which I always forget is in this movie. It's crazy that she's um, in it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And just full blown, she is Gamora without makeup in this movie. And it kind of (laughs) rules. Oh, it's great. And like even her, you know, kind of going back to what Verbinski said about character actors, like she's like 30th in the call line or whatever, the call sheet. Mm -hmm. And it's Zoe Saldana. Mm -hmm. And you just you bring such a life to her character. You can imagine like the adventures that she went on with Jack Sparrow before the movie. And I think it all just adds to making this movie feel so this world feels so full and fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, she's got to be the record holder of like most I mean, she's in like Avatar. She's in Avengers. Yeah, this. Yeah, maybe Samuel Jackson yeah. comes close to that since he's technically in in game. But yeah, and and Star Wars, and Star yeah. Wars, and yeah, Jurassic Park. He should be in. A, he right. should be in Avatar. Oh, yeah, right. Anyway, um, yeah. So then, uh, so then we do. Uh, let's see. On the other side of that, we have Elizabeth Turner, who's now with the pirates. She learns about. There's this great scene where Barbosa's just watching her eat. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. he's like, oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> that would be wouldn't it be nice, <laughs> nice to be able to eat food. <laughs> yeah. What's that? What's that meme oh. from the Onion? Like sickos, where they're like laughing through oh. the window. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so this is when she learns like why he's so into the her eating food because he tells her about the curse, and this is also mm-hmm. around the time that she learns about what happened. Uh, uh, no, no, no. Will learns what happened about Jack with the pearl and Barbosa being his first mate, which I cannot imagine. Um, so weird. <laughs> it's so weird to try and picture that uh, the the political machinations that resulted in Barbosa being Captain Jack Sparrow's first mate. Um, but uh, but yeah, there was a mutiny and they left him to die on an island, and and Jack weaseled his way out of it. Uh, as he always does, but um, that's why he has a gun that has one shot in it. It was meant to allow him to commit suicide on the island when he wouldn't when he wouldn't be able to escape. But instead, he got off the island, so now he's saving it to kill Barbosa, mm-hmm. who put him there in the first place. Um, but I justice, love that bit, as they say. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's their family. Oh, he's got um, a suicide bullet. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you wish. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, so they uh, they basically um, all of these things come together when they go to the Cortez Cave, um, where the treasure is, because they're like we collected every medallion of this treasure that we stole. It was cursed. It turned us immortal into like skeleton men. And we want to end the curse. We have to return all the treasure. But there was one medallion that was left on a boy, uh, left on a kid. And uh, we found it. It's that medallion. So now all we need is your blood and that coin. And the curse gets lifted. And it's going to be awesome. And so... I can finally uh, eat this apple. Yeah. Yeah. So they they all sort of like converge in this cave, which is the treasure room from the ride. Um, And... They do this whole spiel where they cut her hand and she bleeds on the medallion and drops it. And then it turns out, of course, she's lying about being a Turner. And so it doesn't lift the curse. Um, And this is the part where here, starting here, I think the movie could be like half an hour shorter. Um, (laughs) Because I think that I think that there's like the next 45 minutes is a lot of rigmarole to get us right back to the cave again. <laughs> um, 
So that's that's my opinion of this. I just like the circular nature of the narrative from this point to returning to the cave in 45 minutes. But I'm curious what you guys think. Hmm. Um, yeah, if they could somehow shoehorn in a the big nautical battle that happens earlier in the movie, I think, yeah, 100%. But I guess they had to find a way to get, well, we got to have two pirate ships shoot at each other, right? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Unfor- unfortunately, I think this series is like forty percent rigmarole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like there's even more rigmarole in the sequels. Yeah, yeah, a lot of dialogue rigmarole that is at times confusing and hard to follow. You know, even though I, I do love these movies and I watch them uh, maybe like once every summer, just kind of as a as a, as a you know uh, practice. Um, <laughs> Double crossing of pirates is uh, a, a really fun thing to do, uh, but it can get very confusing as to who's on whose side, who's doing what. And I think um, even the, even like what's going on with the gold is was a little confusing for me as the, at the first time when I saw it. It's like, okay, so yeah, I get it, Turner, but why isn't Jack Sparrow part of the curse? Like, was he on the boat at the time? I, you know, not 100% sure. Even thinking about it now, I'm right. like, I'm sure if I rewatched it, I'd be able to follow it. But wait, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that was also some. That was another thing that Eisner found really frustrating is how, like, you know, mm-hmm. how hard to follow the plot seemed to be, especially maybe on the page, um, and and yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it it's weird that it like works in this one, and then they're like, oh, cool, so we can just keep like adding more of it. Yeah, and, yeah, right. <laughs> People can follow this liar's dice game, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so after this initial um, cave scene. We go into the uh, we get the we get the two pirate ships shooting at each other, um, which is a lot of fun. Jack is on the is on the pearl and is getting more and more stressed out about the damage being done to the pearl because he's like, I'm going to get this ship back one day, and I don't I don't like this. I don't like that there's a flood in here. I don't like that you're shooting holes into my ship. That's another big component of the pirates recipe that's introduced in this movie is ship hopping and yeah. mm-hmm. like people not staying in one place and jumping from one ship to another ship and then like changing alliances mm-hmm. or like people wanting conflicting stuff like, oh, no, we want we know we want Elizabeth and, and Will to, de- to to defeat the Black Pearl. But we also sympathize with Jack not wanting the Black Pearl to get wrecked. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, so Will makes it on to they, they blow up the other ship, but Will makes it out. He was like under underneath and it was filling up with water, but he, he ends up escaping. Um, and then he gets onto the to the Pearl and basically threatens his own life because at first he's shooting. He's aiming the gun at the pirates and they're like, I mean, we're we're invincible. <laughs> yeah, I, this is stupid. Don't be an idiot. And so then he starts pointing it at himself and then reveals that he's the son of Bootstrap Bill. Uh, and that they need him alive to end the curse. And uh, and so that seems to work. Of, but then yeah. they immediately trick him. And it's like, you didn't say how, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great it's a great character moment for Will because like he's he's really rash mm-hmm. and he's a pure heart. But he's like not the brightest bulb yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And he, he trusts he constantly trusts that pirates are going to not cheat. Yeah. He's right. like, well, I'm honorable, and he just can't even fathom that someone else wouldn't be honorable in a moment of honor. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And and so like he just is constantly getting thwarted because these pirates are assholes. <laughs> um, uh, and then he so, watches. Yeah, they both get uh, shipwrecked, or they both get stranded on the island, right? Yeah, yeah. They they make uh, they make Jack and Elizabeth walk the plank, um, and then they wash up on the shore of the of the island where Jack was before, um, where Jack reveals that it was a rum runner's island. Um, that seems to have been uh, abandoned since he was on it. But when he was on it, the rum runners would come back and pick up the rum. So he was only on the island for like three days. And then they showed up and they were like, yeah, we'll give you a ride wherever you want. And he was like, cool. And that was it. That's how he got off the <laughs> island. It wasn't like some crazy story where he like built a raft out of human hair <laughs> or anything like that. It was just like luck, basically. Legend. Um, yeah. And uh, there's this great scene where they're they're drinking rum. They're getting drunk around a bonfire. Yeah. That's a great which scene. Is pretty good. And then yeah. both kind of being vulnerable in an interesting way around each other, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. revealing parts of themselves without even like the other character even realizing it. Um, but it's still funny. Yeah, yeah. And she's she does some really good drunk acting. I think mm-hmm. Karen Knightley. Yeah. I think she's really she's like you never feel like she's not elizabeth swan despite the fact that like she's being more like open <laughs> about how she right. feels about things and very silly and everything but it it still feels like elizabeth the whole time um, what'd you think of jack sparrow's drunk acting in this scene <laughs> he was just jack sparrow wasn't he <laughs> right. he'd mastered it's it by this tell. point yeah yeah i right. think he just i think he just turned it up to nine he's usually at an eight <laughs> just yeah. like notched it up one <laughs> um but uh yeah uh so he wakes up the next morning and she's like started a fire with all the rum. Great. Because she's like, I'm a governor's daughter. They're looking for me. They see this thing. It's like a thousand feet high. <laughs> They're going to come running. And he's like, well, this is stupid. And then they immediately get saved, which is <laughs> pretty great. <laughs> it he's is. very frustrated. It, also, I think just thinking about it, a, a real advantage to this movie and hopefully this franchise is any combination of characters in this cast as fun mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah like like jack and elizabeth is just as fun in a different way as jack and will it's a yes. it's a series of little bottle episodes you know uh funny enough yeah. <laughs> the brummer's aisle uh that uh yeah any, right. anytime you put any of them together it's 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 magic on serene uh yeah. rum runner's island was part of disney disney's california adventure back in the day right? <laughs> <laughs> i think so yeah <laughs> yeah um so we're back in the Cortez caves. Now they've got the right kid. Um and they're gonna they're gonna bleed him all over everything to to end the end the curse. Um because he's only half Jack, Turner. Right. Jack and Elizabeth show up uh and they're like, Hey, don't do this. Jack comes in and basically is like, Hey, so here's the thing. <laughs> Her people are all going to come here and kill your guy, kill you guys. So, like, you probably shouldn't bleed Will Turner and the curse yet because then you won't be invulnerable anymore and they can very easily kill all of you. <laughs> so you should probably stick with the skeleton vibes and, like, go and, and, and defeat them and then come back and end the curse. And everyone's like, oh, that's smart idea, Jack. And it does seem like a smart plan, but I have a question for both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So not to, so to skip ahead, I guess, but we still want to go over like you know the, the final battle and stuff. Um, so Barbosa takes a bullet. Jack spends his bullet on Barbosa. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, yeah, douchebag, I'm immortal. And he's like, no, look. And Will Turner cuts his hand and drops the coins. And then the bullet that was already in Barbosa matters again. And he bleeds out and dies. Yeah. Um, what My question is, like, at what's the half-life that a wound has on one of these pirates? Like, if a pirate was stabbed, like, half an hour ago... Does it reappear or does it have to be like just then? Uh, I guess it depends on what the scene needs, right? I mean, that is obvious, but right. uh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, yeah, because is, is it ever okay. established that there's like existing wounds that last on these guys, or is it pretty much just like because that one guy gets an axe to his back, the bomb guy at the very beginning, right? And he gets up <laughs> and just like keeps running again, and it doesn't seem to. And the and the comedic relief guy gets shot through the heart, right? Yeah, by Barbosa. Right. You shot like, me. Prove yeah. that they're still immortal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. <laughs> It's a good scene. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I honestly think that I think it's the editing that isn't great. I, I okay. feel like the, the timing of it should have been. Will drops the medallion behind him yes. and then Johnny the Depp bullet. shoots him and he's like, what you stupid idiot? And he's like, oh, look again. And then he looks, sees that he's bleeding, turns around, sees that will drop the coin and it's like, oh. And then dies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That should be the yeah. order of operations. I feel like. But... I agree. But yeah, uh, I don't know fun what fight the, what the story with that is. <laughs> uh, it, oh, uh, and something I want to uh, please a, a fun fight, but it does feel a little bit weird. I feel like the the big sequence in the movie is those two ships blasting each other from point blank range, and it does feel a little bit like oh, we yeah. already got the third act, and then this is almost like uh, the, the the last portion of this movie feels a little bit weird pacing wise to me because I feel like we kind of got what we came for earlier, and then we got this. I, I kind of wish the scenes were reversed, but and this isn't even the final action sequence of the movie. <laughs> That's right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, one, one thing I want to highlight, though, is how cool the uh, so when it's revealed that Jack also took a piece of Aztec gold and he's a skeleton and they're sword fighting. And like as they fight through the moonlight, cracking through the cave, mm-hmm. you go back and forth between the effects of them being zombies and not. And I just think that's still mm-hmm. so impressive. Yeah. That, that's yeah. that's the kind of thing when you're writing it, you really pat yourself on the back, you know, like did it again, <laughs> you know, like this is going to look so cool. <laughs> Every scene of someone fighting a skeleton pirate, like in that finale, they had to shoot it three times. Really? Um, they had to sh- they had to shoot it once with the stunt performer wearing like the the sock and stuff or whatever, and then they had to shoot it with just the real life actor, like pantomiming fighting with air. So that they right. could animate the digital creation over that thing. Yeah. Mm. The plate. And, yeah. yeah. And then the actor had to do it again in mocap and just like the volume. And so oh, I, I don't right. It's a pretty impressive fight to look at when you look at all of the pieces that have to move and all the weird performance mm. stuff that has to be going on. Yeah. Can I actually on that yeah. point? I think my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the effects in this movie. How do you guys feel that they hold up over time? Because it, to me, it feels like. You can only make skeletons look so good, really, I think. And mm-hmm. Dead Man's Chest, Davy Jones, and all those guys just look completely realistic to me. It, it, on, on rewatch of yeah. this, do you, does it feel a little dated to you guys when you watch these skeletons? I think the movie does itself a lot of favors by shooting the skeletons mostly at night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, primarily at night because they need the moonlight to right. look yeah, like skeletons. Right. Right. Um, 
but uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it. I think they do themselves a lot of favors in that regard, but I don't think it holds up. I think mm-hmm. that it definitely looks like 2003 graphics mm-hmm. um, at this point. I mean, what's interesting is I find that even like things that were incredibly impressive in in 2000 in this era at the time they don't even they don't really hold up i think this is one of those things that doesn't really hold up i kind of think that gollum doesn't really hold up wow. um, i know i know that's controversial but like <laughs> i watched i watched i watched clips from two towers when i was on lord of the rings minute um and i had some gollum scenes and i was like yeah i can just see i just see a cgi like cartoon character like walking around a real cave um, and it, it could just, it takes me out of it. Whereas like at the time it was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen, but now it just doesn't, it doesn't hold up quite as realistic as it was. And I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that like the quality of the things that we watch at home is so much better now mm-hmm. than it was back then that mm-hmm. they didn't feel the need to, you know, up this stuff so much at the time, but now it kind of needs to be sort of uprezzed in order right. to like still like hold up. Um, but point. Yeah. you know, who wants to waste money on that? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How could they know in 2002 what the, what the average home movie theater would have in right. terms of specs in 2022? Right. Right. I don't even think they knew what 4k was back then. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, I still get lost in the movie with pirates yeah. i haven't i haven't rewatched lord of the rings in a while but like you know you could i could definitely i i mean like you're right though kyle like the jump from curse of the black pearl to dead man's chest in terms mm-hmm. of visual effects oh, yeah. is insane it's stark yeah i'm so excited i'm so excited um yeah i think my favorite note though about the pirate uh, the, the 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 pearl crew is that the monkey also got cursed yeah, and I just yeah, I'm like that monkey doesn't that he is innocent. He doesn't know what's going on. Why, why did he have to turn into a skeleton? <laughs> why am I not dying? <laughs> oh, I'm eighteen years old. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's a good sword fight. Um, it's it's very cinematic looking and everything. We get the the crazy um final battle with the uh, with the ships and everything. Um and. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all, it's all good. Uh, it's 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 good action adventure stuff, um, and uh, we defeat Barbosa, and uh, the movie ends with um, the hanging of Jack Sparrow, uh, and so <laughs> dies the franchise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get uh, we get almost like a a bonus level in the movie. Just when you think yeah. it's all over, we get one last bit of swashbuckling adventure when. Uh, Will Turner rescues Jack Sparrow, and mm-hmm. we get to really live in what a well-oiled machine they've become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In a scene that reminds me a lot of a very similar scene in The Mummy. Oh, I think I can picture what you're thinking. I haven't seen The Mummy in a minute. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's there's a scene toward the beginning where Brendan Fraser's character is going to get hanged, and they yes. like save him at the last minute, and it's like pandemonious, just like this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's the reason why uh, Brendan Fraser has uh, uh, back problems to this day. Is that Aww. scene? Damn yeah. shame. <laughs> yeah. Safety first, um, filmmakers. Safety first. Uh, but uh, yeah, they they escape, and then this is when um, you know she reveals Elizabeth reveals that she's in love with Will, 
Uh, and her father is like, well, then you have my blessing because I always like this kid. He makes good swords. <laughs> and he's God. like, oh, cool. Thanks. Now you give me credit. Cool. Got added to him. He makes uh, good swords. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then they, they, they like go off to be pirates together, uh, which is fun. And they're going to give him Norrington is going to give them a, a one day head start. Yeah. And he's going to come after him because he's like, well, the law. <laughs> I, I love that. That this is a fun, quiet, but so cool ending of just Jack alone on the deck with his compass, just back in his zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the plot of this movie is very simple. I think. I mean, yeah, the machinations of the plot can get complicated mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but I, I, I think that they with a with another draft of the script i think they could have cut probably 40 pages out of this thing and it would be just as good if not better because it would be tighter um but you know that being said it's a vibe and sometimes you're if you're in the mood for a vibe it doesn't matter how long the movie is you know because you're like i want the vibe uh and i'm sure hopefully i feel that way about the sequels still because those are all very long um if i remember correctly but uh this is uh I mean, yeah, it holds up. It's a great movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Perennial classic around uh, our house. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, to me, it's like, I think one of, if not the best adventure movies in my lifetime. And Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that it came out when I was still like so fresh eyed and like ready Mm -hmm. to get swept away by stuff like this. Oh, yeah. It's crazy to think that. I, I just well, you know, I was just thinking I was I was talking about um, Gordon Rabinsky as a director and how, you know, I hope that he has like another big hit sometime mm-hmm. down the pipeline. Um, and I was thinking about him and I was like, I was like, you know, he kind of reminds me like what I, the career that I'd want for him would be something like um, Martin Campbell, who not every movie he does is a hit, but when they are, they're like. Big cultural touchstones, right? Mm-hmm. Your your Golden Eye, your Mask of Zorro, your uh, Casino, Casino Royale, Royale. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I would love that for Gore Verbinski. It's like something like that. And then I just realized like this was written by the Mask of Zorro people, and I was like, wow, what a weird mm-hmm. connection that I didn't know I was making in my brain. But <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I hope it yeah, works. But- Gore Verbinski is so good, and I, I I I hope he has another really great movie that he can get greenlit at some point soon. You know, uh, I'd take a Rango uh, too at this point, honestly. Sure. Yeah. Rango is like a perfect movie to me. Same. Yeah. 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 Rango's uh, great. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for being on the show. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts on the, the pirate on curse of the black pearl and the pirates franchise at large? Yeah. Um, I, as much as I know, it's not going to be able to live up to anything. I'm still looking forward to what they're going to do next with the series. Um, I, to mm-hmm. some degree, I love dead man's chest. I think there's a lot of fun to be found in that world's end. And the other two, if they're on, I won't turn them off. You know, <laughs> there's something to be found in all of these movies. And I'm looking forward to hearing you guys talk about the other ones because they are, uh, at the very least interesting films that there's nothing else out the, out there like a mm-hmm. period piece, fantasy, uh, family movies, um, and it looks like we're going to be getting a few more of them. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's it's always fun to talk about these movies. Totally, 
Uh, Scott, I can't wait for our in between us up. We can talk about, like Kyle said, the uh, the future of the franchise and all the different oh, spinoffs yeah. they have planned. Mm-hmm. I know, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, you should check out uh, Kyle and I on Theme Park. This it is. If you don't know about it, it is a podcast where um, Kyle and I and uh, past guest of the show Brian Green get together and we basically come up with a, an IP or, or a concept or, or theme and we uh, turn it into a theme park together um, where we sort of like blue sky pitch rides and attractions based on that IP. Um, we've done a lot of stuff, including a Bioshock park at one point. Yeah. Um, calling back to that, that uh, Gore Verbinski uh, Bioshock movie. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a fun show and, uh, you should definitely check that out. All right. Uh, we will be back next week with Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. But for now, bye everybody and, uh, happy sailing. 